Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time has just gone uh, 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome welcome back for the new year, Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Hi, good, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And hopefully it will be a lovely day. Uh, I hope everybody got a little bit of rain the other day. We got 18 mils uh, wow. at our place, much to That's my good. amazement. That's when I good. went out and checked the rain gauge, I said to Craig, you sure you didn't water the veggie garden and half fill the rain gauge by accident as well? <laughs> uh, but I was assured that hadn't happened. Okay. Uh, so we got 18 mils in our rain gauge, which I was very impressed That's by. That's excellent. Uh, so it's just taken that little bit of pressure off. It has, it has, yeah. because it was quite steady there, and yeah. I'm hoping it's soaked in a bit. Oh, look, I'm sure it's gone in a wee way, and yep. rain always goes down like watering out of a hose never does. Yep, so there you go. for sure. So, yes, uh, and the weather's cooled down for a while, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, what could be better, really? Uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it at the moment. But all of a sudden, it, it feels like we're on the cusp of autumn. It was yeah. dark when we got <laughs> up. And yes, it was dark at 6 o'clock this morning. Uh, the sun just started to sort of lighten the horizon as I was driving down. Uh, so, yes, it feels like uh, it's all starting to happen now. So we'll be getting red leaves any minute. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I copped driving down the freeway this morning, seven balloons oh, all yeah. landing beside the freeway. And talk about a distraction to driving. Yeah, it was well, it's, ridiculous. Hard to, it's hard to ignore, isn't it, when something like that's going on? They're so on. huge up close. <laughs> and to have them coming down on both sides of the freeway, it was like, ah, I'm surrounded. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, it's all, all part of life's rich. Oh, well, it was, it was an exciting event, yeah. I guess. I'll yeah. be on one of those one of these days. I'm determined to do one of those balloons. Are you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. After all my helicoptering for for Victorian Schools Garden Awards, I think I've had enough of risk taking up in there. Oh. Oh, you only live once and it could be a shorter life, but anyhow. (laughs) Could be very cold up there too, I think. Yes, you'd need to be warmly dressed, especially this morning, because it was quite brisk. It was. Mm. Yep, definitely. Okay, we've also got to say a very good morning to Virginia Haywood. Morning, Virginia. Good morning, Pam. Which, Which freeway were you on? Eastern? The Eastern, really? Yes. I've seen them do it in the Yarra Valley. They've landed right oh, ne- yes. in Wandon, right next to the yes. highway. Yep. And found that very distracting. Yep. <laughs> and I had one in my back garden the other day where I could even see their faces. They were so low. Right. In, in Seville. Yep. But um, I, I think I'd be scared, especially since that one crashed in the Yarra Valley recently. That's right. That's the final Yeah, but people have car crashes every day. <coughs> I know. I yeah, so, I, know. I mean, you've got to put these things in context. I know. Um, but, but I do think, have a height problem. Yeah, well, then don't do it. No. Mm. No, <laughs> no I, I just think it would be great fun. So uh, I keep pointing out to people that, you know, for my birthday or something, somebody could buy me a ticket to go on one of... And <laughs> hint, hint. Other people in my life don't want to do it, so... Um, it's not happening in a hurry. Do they fly over your valley? Uh, no, they don't normally come no, out they that wouldn't. side. So, mm. um, but yeah, I'd like to do it one day. But anyhow, oh well. He's dropped a few hints there. Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> right. And, and nobody will be listening to yeah. those hints. But anyhow, <laughs> if people want to crowdsource some money and get me a ticket, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me. 
Oh, so how did your garden survive? Well, it's interesting. I went to Healesville yep. and had to go and sit in the pub because the rain was just so heavy. It just thundered down. Really? And I, I got really excited and I got home, not a drop. Yeah. But I did have two days where I had hours of very, very light, slow rain and the garden... I mean, it just lifts your heart when it rains in, in February. Yep, for it, sure. It's just wonderful. And I think that'll be enough to get us through summer now. Mm-hmm. I think we're over the worst of it. Yeah, days are shortening, as yeah, we they are, this morning. So, so yeah. yes. But it was 40 degrees in Perth over the weekend, this weekend. Yes. So I, we're in for some more hot, I'm sure. Mm. But I don't think it'll last. No. Even if we get the odd day, I don't think it'll be quite as bad as it has been. At least we can live in hope. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> we must say a very good morning too to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam, and good morning everybody out there in listening man. Yes, you've got to go on a ride in, in a balloon. Yeah, I, I went I on in a ride in a balloon with my good neighbours, Clary and Joyce, who were really instrumental in our business over so many years. They've gone now, bless right. their souls. But um, up at Euroa, mm. it was it was absolutely magnificent. Yeah, only the only real shocker though was when it sort of lands and it goes boom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah hang on there, boy. Yeah, well, you are mm. close to the ground at that point, though. <laughs> <laughs> but nice and flat up here around Euroa and um, it, you know, just sort of good ballooning country. Yeah, for sure. Nothing gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pylons and. <laughs> mm, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. And the roses, they're probably lapping up the heat. Oh, mate, you come into the nursery after it's been a hot day and they do, just do love the heat. Yep. That they, they, they definitely changes them. They, they really um, um, virtually glisten, not, not necessarily the flowers, but the foliage mm. yeah, in pots. Mm. Mm. The flowers actually sort of go all bristly when it yeah. gets really hot, don't they? Yeah, they I burn. Mean, they burn, they burn yeah. the petals and burn around the edges. Mm. And also I've noticed that they bleach, like my just yes. joeys are... Mm. They've gone a sort of pastel colour, mm. which mm. they aren't normally. Mm. Well, it's a whole new world when you've got potted stock. But we can mm. water them. But if you water them overhead, you've got to keep the water on for about 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, you just can't put it on for five minutes because it will burn. Yep. So you cool them down and, mm. and they perform well. Mm. But, uh, you know, the pot world is quite different to the, to the garden. Oh, for sure. So, yep. Yeah. Well, yep. you're working with a completely different medium, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, you torture pots. them in pots. <laughs> You can hear him crying. (laughs) (laughs) Let me out! (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, I'm going to get straight into community announcements because there are a few happening at the moment. Um, And a first reminder for listeners, if you haven't planned anything to do today, um, Werribee Park Heritage Orchard has got its Summer Grafting and Tree Sales Day on today. Uh, so it's starting at 10am this morning, running through until 3pm. It is free entry. Now, this is down at Werribee Park, of course. You enter via Gate 5, you follow the signs to uh, the Grafting Day Visitors Car Park and you take a short walk uh, to the old stables. Um, now, they're having, uh, there'll be lots of food, drink, um, there'll be grafting budding demonstrations which are ongoing throughout the day. Um, you can then uh, learn techniques for grafting and budding uh, fruit trees. You can have new trees grafted or budded for you. Um, there'll be a, an array of different fruit trees. You can buy one-year-old grafted heritage fruit trees uh, when available. 
You can buy um, heritage fruit tree scion wood for home grafting. Talk to experts uh, in gardening and fruit growing. Select uh, some suitable rootstocks. There'll be rare and unusual edible plants for sale and fruit tastings. And uh, subject to availability, there will be pruning demonstrations, orchard tours and edible weed walks. So that's all taking place today, 10 o'clock through till 3, and it is a free event. So uh, just remember, head down to Werribee Park and enter via Gate 5 and then follow the signs. Now, uh, coming up, Friends of Burnley Gardens have uh, got their annual St Valentine's Day dinner in the Burnley Gardens. And uh, following that, they're going to have a, an illustrated presentation by David Daly from the famed Conifer Gardens Nursery. And the title of his talk is Growing Cool Climate Plants in a Changing Environment. I have to say, you should have called it I've Only Got Eyes for You. <laughs> <laughs> Y-E-W? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just in case people out there are wondering what the hell I just said. I mean, there, there's a, a pun that I've never used before. <laughs> and it would okay. link in with, with Valentine's Day as well. It would. <laughs> there you go. There's oh, an idea for you. I hope okay. some of the friends are listening. Oh, well, you're awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, as this is Valentine's Day, it is happening on Thursday, the 14th of February. 5.30 for the dinner, 7.30 for the talk. Um, the dinner will be at the long table under their new uh, wisteria arbor. Just follow the signs. And uh, you do, of course, need to book. The venue, of course, is Burnley Gardens. Uh, and booking for the dinner has to be by uh, today at 5 p.m. Uh -oh. So uh, you need to get your skids on if you're wanting to go to that one. Uh, you can just go for the talk, though, if you wish. So the meeting place at 5.30 for the dinner, as I said, uh, you follow the signs to the Wisteria Arbour. 7.30 for the talk, you meet at uh, Main Building 11. Uh, the meal and talk is $30 for friends, uh, members of the friends group, $40 for non-members. If you're coming to the talk only, $10 for members, $20 for non-members. As I said, bookings are essential. Um, you can go to their website, uh, oh, there's two different ones. Try uh, www.trybooking.com forward slash 456655. That's 456655. Um, you can go to their website, uh, which is www.fobg.org.au, or you can uh, try phoning the friends group tomorrow. And the number is 9035-6815. That's 9035-6815. Okay, now there's a, uh, another free event coming up. Uh, this is going <coughs> to be held out at Ceres Community Environment Park, Roberts Street, uh, Brunswick East, in meeting room number four. And this is a talk... It's all about um, community uh, greening efforts uh, in regard to, uh, to community gardens as an example of community greening, um, offering the promise of increasing access to fruits and vegetables, strengthening social connections, reducing sedentary behaviour and improving well-being in addition to beautifying neighbours. Now, the talk is being given by Dr Jill Litt, 
She's from IS Global in Barcelona and University of Colorado Boulder. And she's going to be reviewing the research findings from her 10-year community academic partnership with Denver Urban Gardens and uh, describe the community activation for prevention study, uh, which was a four-year randomised control study of community gardens in Denver funded by the American Cancer Council. Uh, So that will be an interesting one if you're at all interested in... um, the health effects and this research that's been done of um, community gardens and uh, obviously gardening in general as well. Um, as I mentioned, that's taking place also Thursday, 14th of February, 6.30 till 7.30. Um, it is a free event out at uh, Series Meeting Room 4. Uh, now, Open Gardens Victoria are repeating the... Um, behind-the-scenes tour of Melbourne food gardens that they ran before Christmas. Now, this is uh, due to popular demand. Um, They uh, were so many people that couldn't get uh, onto that tour before Christmas. They are running the whole tour again. And uh, this has been running in conjunction with uh, Victoria's 2019 Sustainable Living Festival. Uh, So uh, it starts at William Anglis Institute in the city. Uh, Karen Sutherland is going to be leading the tour. She'll discuss the model productive rain garden that she designed to teach students how to grow, harvest and use a variety of plants for their catering. Then the two will visit her private garden, Ganya, uh, in uh, Brunswick, uh, Then uh, next they'll explore community gardens in Brunswick, um, and see firsthand the food forest um, of a very vibrant and uh, very active local community of gardeners. Next up, they're visiting uh, the Sicilianos out at Rose Creek Estate to look at a working vineyard, olive grove and huge vegetable garden out in Keylor. And the final stop on the tour will be Days Walk Farm where organic food is grown and then sold weekly at the nearby Preston Market. So uh, the tour commences at 9 o'clock at William Anglis Institute. Now that's at 550 Little Lonsdale Street in Melbourne. Um, It will uh, finish at 5.30 back at William Anglis Institute. Uh, Now it will also include morning tea, lunch and afternoon tea. Uh, The cost is $150. Now... That includes, as I say, the guided coach tour of the five food gardens, expert speakers at each venue, morning tea, lunch and afternoon tea, illustrated tour notes provided. You do obviously need to book. And uh, to book, you go to uh, opengardensvictoria.org.au and follow the prompts on that website. All right. Cloud Hill uh, Garden has been uh, very busy with lots of events in the gardens over Christmas New Year and uh, they have a couple more events uh, coming up. They did have one last night but of course that one's gone by but they've got two more events coming up. Firstly, Saturday 23rd of February, Latitude 37 are going to be playing in the garden. Uh, Now cost for this is $35.00. Under 16 is $25. And then coming up on Saturday the 9th of March, Riley Lee will be playing Music of the Shakuhachi. 
And uh, cost for this, adults $45, under 16s $35. You're invited to go early into the gardens, take a picnic uh, tea uh, before the music actually starts. And I know uh, they do try and start at uh, twilight and they finish roughly about 8.30ish. So it's it's a reasonably early night if you want to take uh, children along for that one. Now, uh, to book, simply go... Type in uh, Cloud Hill uh, into your web search engine and um, up will it all come and you can book via Try Booking on that one or you can give the gardens a call. Their number is 97511009. I might hold over the others. They're coming up later at the end of the month. If we have time, I'll get back to a couple more that's happening. Okay, it's uh, also high time that I invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Do give us a call. We've got Stephen Ryan, Graham Sargent and Virginia Haywood in the studio this morning. That number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol, who's on the outside line, 94198377. Virginia. I know that tomorrow night Dr Tim Professor Tim Entwistle is giving a talk for the Australian Garden History Society at the Botanic Gardens. Oh right. And because I've left my phone at home I've left all the details on it. Right. So I'm going to suggest that Helen Page or Robin Robbins rings in and just tells us what's happening because it sounded very interesting and it is tomorrow night. So could you ring the gardens to find out? Or would it be on the garden's website? Well, it'll be on Australian Garden Australian History, Garden History website. website. Definitely. Fair so enough. if anyone's free tomorrow, I know because I wanted to go, but Stephen and I have a meeting. So. Oh, <laughs> that's the end of that one. <laughs> we can't yeah. go. <coughs> yes, and we haven't had a meeting of Plant Trust for a couple of months now, so you yeah, better, we need you to better be there. Go. <laughs> we have to do it. Yeah, but it'll be really irritating because we'll be sitting over in the guide's library and just across the way there will be this really interesting <laughs> talk. Mm. So I'm, you know, Well, we'd better make sure we have an interesting meeting. <laughs> Well, our meetings are usually fairly interesting. Yeah, well, they are true. Fair enough. But maybe Helen or Robin could ring in. Or if anybody is interested, definitely have a look at their website, which will be Australian Garden History Society, Society, I think, yes. Okay, terrific. All right. Stephen, let's make a start with some plants. All right, and before we start on the plants, they're already up, I think, on the on the Facebook page. So Wonderful. if people want to go in and see what they actually look like, I sent the pictures into Liz yesterday afternoon. Excellent. Um, and we'll start in no particular order. Actually, we'll start with the the, the pretty one. Um, this is an Indigophora, uh, Indigophora decora. Now, we have quite a number of Australian native ones, but this one's actually an Asian species, and it's a small deciduous suckering shrub. So it'll get up to oh, 60 centimetres or a little taller. I've seen it up about a metre as a really old okay. plant. And, and it suckers from the bottom. In fact, this little plant here is starting to throw yes, out a sucker yes. on one side. Um, it has quite pretty sort of um, compound leaves, almost like a small wisteria. And the flowers, in fact, don't look dissimilar to a little spike of pale pink wisteria blossom because yes. uh, of course it is a legume so it has p-shaped flowers yep. um, Virginia tells me she struggles to grow this but I find it a, compa- a comparatively tough little shrub um, and a great little filler for a, a sort of an irregular space in a in a front of a border or something uh, because it will sucker into the space so you end up with this sort of filler 
through that area. And it's smaller than the Australian one, so yeah. it's, it's a bit neater, tidier. Yeah, yeah. and it's, I think it's a charming little plant. It's one of those things that used to be a commonly grown garden plant. Uh, you don't see it round very often these days, and I don't quite understand why. I mean, apart from anything else, if you can flower something like this in a 15 centimetre pot, uh, surely it would sell anywhere. I you mean, would things think so. with flowers on, they always sell. Absolutely. Uh, There's so a lot of it in the Chinese beds in the botanic yeah, gardens. Yeah. So, yeah, so if people want to see some well-grown clumps of it, that's a, a good thought. Um, and I think the indigophoras are, are charming little plants and, and yeah, they seem to have slid through the net a wee bit. Mm. And I regularly stock this one. I, uh, I don't see it as a rare, rare plant, so in some senses it only just sneaks into my range. But it's not the sort of thing you see around the general garden centres and things. So uh, I figure it's worth growing it. Uh, so indigophora Cora. And what sort of conditions does it like, Steve? Look, reasonably sunny. It'll, it'll cope with a bit of shade as well. But uh, I would say a, if there's any such thing as average garden conditions, probably somewhere there. Okay. So like most pea plants, they don't like wet feet. Yep. Uh, so reasonable drainage is important. Um, I find once it's well established, it's fairly drought tolerant. It's cold tolerant, so it's not going to be worried by the frosts in Kyneton or somewhere like that. So you should be able to grow it in those areas mm. as well. Being deciduous, it just goes to sleep for the winter, so yep. the cold weather shouldn't worry it. And I've had it sitting out in, even in pots in, in, and when we have those stinking hot days, and it doesn't seem to be particularly perturbed by 45 degrees in a howling northwesterly either. Wow. So Very I think a reasonably adaptable shrub, yes. and Virginia is going to have to take this one home and try again because I really <laughs> think she... I will. <laughs> but if, for me, it's one of those plants, like I had one going nicely and somebody just trod on it. Oh. You know, it's, it's some so it has a, it has an ill omen over it. Yes. Well, so, I, I, so I will put a blessing on this one, shall I? <laughs> yes, please. Because well, I you, think it's beautiful. You could call it the downtrodden plant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Well, very much so. This will be at least the third one I've tried. All right. Okay. Well, you'll have to keep us in the loop and see how you get but on with this one. With your blessing, Stephen. Yes. Sure well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a, a couple of hail marys and, a, and all that sort of thing, and it'll be fine. Put a big rock in front of it so people don't step well, on yeah. it. Well, the other thing is, this is a bigger plant. Ah. Which will help. I think in my garden, I mean, with roses, if I plant little ones, I haven't got it. You know what has happened? One of my best roses, it's climbing rose Levitagata. Levitagata, yeah. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. And it's a graft. Yeah. The rabbits Uh-oh. have oh, no. ring-barked mm. underneath the graft. Mm. Oh. They've just ring-barked it. Mm. I mean... Oops. It's a rose. Yeah. How could they? Yes, well, well they very did, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Sneaky oh. little devils. Oh, yeah. I can't believe it. They've ring-barked, they've ring-barked two of my trees, including my red-fleshed apple, which is oh, rare. Oh, mm. yes. And most things I've got, I never thought I'd have to cover, you know, protect a rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ring well, there you rose. go. Diggers have got red-fleshed apples. Have they? Mm. Yes. Well, mine's, I, does, I don't think they've gone through the... Gone through that. I think it's alive and it was ring barked over a month ago and it's looking good. So I'm okay. just hoping uh, it'll hopefully heal over. Mm. Yeah, but oh dear, I'm just so. And you know, I love having a garden that's full of pots with no bottoms protecting plants. It just, yeah, really it just looks, looks lovely. lovely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's an aesthetics there, isn't there? <laughs> oh dear. All right, so Indigofera, will we do another one? Yes, let's All do right. it. All right, well, I brought this little tiny thing along today. This is. A pinealia, right, which is in the arum family, yep. and there's only about three or four species in the genus, and this is the tiny weeniest one, right. Uh, this is pinealia cordata from Japan, right. Uh, it has a little uh, tuber under it that it dies down to. It's uh, summer growing, 
winter dormant. Uh, it gets rather pretty leaves with whitish veins in it, and this cute as a button little um, greeny brown flower with a long tail yep. sticking up out of it. And one of the other interesting things about it is it produces a little, ch- well, I was going to say bulbul, but it's not a bulb, it's a it's a tuber, so it's a tuberal. Um, <laughs> in the axle where the leaf and the leaf stem join, it produces this tiny little bulbul uh, thing, tuberal, uh, which when the leaf dies and drops to the ground, uh, it drops a little tiny plantlet, which will then next year grow into another one. How cute. Uh, so it's really cute. Uh, I have certainly never found it to be... Um, overly vigorous so in fact if anything it's one of those small dainty plants that's always under threat in a garden because you you forget it's there and you dig it out dig it over or whatever it may well be something that's better off grown as a potted plant Mm. so sitting in a nice terracotta pot up on the barbecue table or something might work for it would Uh, it go in your go in your bulb garden it could but keeping in mind that it's summer growing and winter dormant it's got the opposite sort of growth pattern to most of your bulbs so it needs some summer moisture and it does like a little bit of semi-shade so it's not a Mm. an open sunny sort of border plant Uh, but in a shady rock garden nestled in amongst some rocks or something that might be a good spot for it but they certainly look quite cute because the leaves are pretty enough um, when you've got a good big full full pot of it and it does have a really pretty leaf reverse but you've got to turn it over and it's a sort of dark livery burgundy colour under Mm. the leaves with green veins and I think Pinelia cordata is very cute Um, it's not a plant with great presence Uh, it's just a fun little dainty Mm. thing and it's a plant for somebody who's got more care in their garden than I do. Yeah, well, for me uh, that would disappear. Uh, I've put some in the garden at home because I had a couple of spare <coughs> tubers, but time will tell. <laughs> because I'm inclined to be a bit sort of, I get in and I start weeding and stuff, and then you suddenly think, oh God, wasn't there something in there? <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, small things in my garden can sometimes disappear as well. So I have to be careful where I plant them. Um, but it is a, a very cute little thing. So Pinelia cordata. I think so. a little pot of that on a table somewhere, oh, yeah. so that you can really yeah, you, look at it and the flowers are sort of so subtle that you need to have it up where you can see it so yes, yes you're right I, I think a, a pretty little sort of old ter- terracotta pot or something with four or five of these tubers I in think it would look lovely yeah and it's, it's a little sweetheart so yeah. it's, it's cute as a button kids love it they oh think they it would looks, yeah, they like think little looks, mice yeah it, it it sort of engages children. Anything that's sort of a bit bizarre and strange looking is more inclined to engage children sometimes than things that are pretty. Mm. So, you know, kids like cactuses and insectivorous plants and of course. You know, all that sort of weirdo yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think that little pinelia could fit into that category. Yeah. So there you go. Excellent. All right. Okay. Uh, we're just waiting for that call to come through. Um, Graham, while we're waiting, let's go to one of your roses. Yes, they're looking very pretty. They are they? looking wonderful. For once, he's brought in some roses that have got flowers on them, so we know <laughs> what we're looking at. Yeah, sometimes they're bare sticks, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been a revolution happen, and what we've got here is a rose called Tropical Sunset mm-hmm. and bred by Sam McCready in New Zealand. I reckon that's a great name for the, for the colour of the rose. Yes, well, there are folks, those that need some visuals. Pam has said it's a good um, description of... Uh, of the rose itself it's described as um what are the yellow orange red flowers striped pink and it does have slightly smaller flowers now or smaller flowers now because of summer but usually the flowers are around around about four inches across wow so they're moderate size Mm. flowers not great big ones but Mm. they're not tiny yeah as a rule and um of all the roses that um i've seen 
growing in the nursery, it would rank as probably the most healthy mm. that I've seen in, in the last 20 years. And it'll get up to about a metre and a half, make a great hedge, mm. a good hedge, and mm. of course goes flowers for nine, year, uh, nine months. Not nine years, nine months. <laughs> we hope it'll last for nine years. Yes, <laughs> I'll say. And um, it also has a, a, a peach-type perfume. So it's a great hedging rose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tropical sunset. Tropical sunset, people. Yeah. Easy enough name to remember. It is, mm. yeah. And, Great. And if you've ever met Sam McCready in New Zealand, he's six foot six Irish gentleman, and he was the funniest man that ever walked the planet. Mm. And he's been a compere of many, many conferences in New Zealand, and uh, just to go along and listen to him is all, all you need. <laughs> So it was bred by him, and he br- he's bred many roses, Sam McCurdy. He's a fifth-generation rose breeder okay. uh, from Ireland, and he immigrated to New, Z- New Zealand. Right. Mm. Well. Something in his family genes, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. mm. Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, Jill has been cut off, and could she please ring us back? That would be the easiest, so we can yes. actually talk to her, uh, yeah. Jill. So just give us a call again. We're sorry about that. Um, and we'll pop you straight through as soon as you uh, get online. You might as well tell us about the other rose then, Graham. Well, the other rose I've got here um, is called Double Knockout. And initially the first rose in that series uh, released was Knockout. Now, Double Knockout is a, is a much fuller flower and it's the sort of rose that you can put in a vase. And... Um, it's also a rose that you could use as a feature plant in your, in your garden as well as um, also another hedging rose. Okay. It'll get up to a, about a metre, a, a, good, a, a, bit, a bit over a metre, and very prolific in flowering and uh, bred by a gentleman um, near Chicago in the United States, and they released it in the United States, and uh, they sold three million in the first year they released Gosh. it. So it's a great landscape. I wonder if rose. he'll adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> a great landscape rose <laughs> and if you read the pedigree of that rose it reads like a who's who there's, there's some amazing roses in its breeding right and, um, and it, it is extremely healthy mm-hmm. we've got about um, eight plants of it in, the, in our garden and um, a really good rose you haven't mentioned the actual colour though Graham. What would you describe it as, St- Stephen? I would describe it as a sort of a cyclamen pink or, a, yeah, yeah something like that. Pink. It's a really dark pink. Yes, it's yeah. very on the red end of pink, isn't yeah. it? Mm. Yes, yeah. it is. So, yeah, so it's quite a striking, strong colour. Yes. Is it uh, perfumed? It's got, a, it's got a slight perfume. Yeah, so it's not an overly heavily no, scented one, no. but uh, it's a very pretty shaped flower. And, and it's a rose you could just prune with a hedger mm. or yep. um, clippers. Yep. You know, hedge clippers? Yep. Really quite Yeah, easy. I remember those. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so ideal for a mass planting because yes. easy to maintain. Yeah. Yeah, or, a, or a real feature rose in the garden. It really flowers prolifically. Just okay. Its recovery rate is, is great, probably amongst the best of the recovery rate. Okay. And, and it's not, it doesn't finish being dirty. Yeah, so, so it's a clean-looking flower to the end. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a clean, um, what we call in the rose industry, a clean shedder. Yep, yeah. Yeah. excellent. All yes. right. Well, we do have uh, Jill in East Brighton back again. Good morning, Jill. Good, good morning, everybody. Uh, yes, look, I'm, um, a couple of things. One is, you know, last week you were, I tried to get through a few times and they couldn't. Uh, you're talking about ferns, and I just wanted to mention, um, 
you know how tough they can be. I've got a couple of I've got uh, hanging baskets. One I inherited from my mother, which I reckon is about forty years old, of the hare's foot fern. Mm. Yes. And, and the other one from my aunt, which I reckon is almost as old as that. And uh, you know, there's forty four degree days and everything. Yes, they're in in mostly shade, but they are so tough. Mm. Uh, they're just um, not all ferns are you know blushing violets, so to speak. <laughs> Um, you know they can they can really cope with the heat sometimes. Yep. Uh, but look, that's not why rang the ring is. I have got an unhappy ginkgo. Uh, I I had it in a very very big, big terracotta pot for, for a couple of years, but it got too big for that. I've planted it out. I'm on the sand belt in East Brighton, and it's grown a bit. Um, it's been in the in the soil for about three years now, I suppose. But the leaves are about half size of that they're a sort of sickly yellowish green in spite of you know giving it sea soil and um, feeding it every now and then and it's it's just looking miserable and I'm thinking is it perhaps because my soil's too um, um, well the opposite of acidic too sandy. Um, oh you're talking about alkaline oh yes too alkaline thank you um, that shouldn't uh, be an issue. Um, uh, sandy soils, of course, dry out rather rather quicker yes, than most I've others. Been, and yes, I've been pouring water onto it, mm. uh, you know, during the heat. Um, and was it doing uh, all right in the pot? Yes, mm. yes, it was. It looked it looked lovely in the pot. Right. And um, and as it was a gift from a friend, I really do not want to lose it. No. Well, look, there's a couple of things that could be going wrong here. Uh, one is that the root system hasn't adjusted to the sand, and you may well find that um, uh, the still original the pot, pot, yeah, mm. its original potting mix is in fact still its its habitat. Um, and so, it may be worthwhile when winter comes to gently lift it out of the ground uh, and check and see what's happened. I, it's actually about. Um metres high, it would be hard just to lift it out no, of the No, 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 no. It's only been in two or three years and it hasn't actually moved outside its root ball. You should be able to grab it by the trunk and pull it out virtually. Even, uh, though, it's, even though the tree is, is, is about over two metres yeah, high. Yeah, I get them in bare-rooted at that size. Well, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so th- this is not necessarily a, a, a death sentence here by taking it out of the ground, but it will be a death sentence if you can't work out what's going wrong. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes you've got to take a wee bit of a risk to solve a problem. And, uh, if, it, and if, it, if that is the problem, what Well, then I, I would wash a lot of the potting mix off the, off the root system and, and, and fluff yeah. the root system out. I would mix some good compost into the, into the sandy soil and I would replant and then I would give it some more seaweed um, and see how you go. The other okay. possibility with ginkgo, uh, has it actually shown any real signs of new growth per se, not just leaves coming out, but actually new shoots? Uh, a bit, but you know, sort of very, I know they're not fast growing, but this has been a bit like pulling teeth. Yes, it has grown a little bit. Since yeah. it's been well, it's possible, that, uh, it's possible, but not likely if it has actually shot, that it's bark bound. Uh, and ginkgos can become oh. bark bound. Um, the bark hardens to the extent that when it tries to grow further, it can't. It's just completely and utterly sort of stopped. So the, the way to fix that uh, seems even more radical possibly than pulling it out of the ground and checking its root system. And that is that you get a, uh, a box cutter type knife, a Stanley yeah, knife or Stanley something knife. like that. Yep, yep. uh, and you slice through the bark from the bottom of the trunk in as yep. straight a line as you can go without cutting through the middle of branches all the way to the top of the plant, right through the bark, uh, up to near the top without damaging the growth bud. 
Right. So okay. you make one yes. slice yes. all yes. the way up the trunk, uh, yes. and that releases the pressure on the on the bark. And I don't know why this is the case with ginkgos. I've never heard of other trees becoming no. bark bound, but ginkgos can if they sit there long enough without any proper mm. growth, then they go into this almost permanent bonsai state um, because they yeah. can't, the bark just can't move sideways for the cambium layer to keep growing. So you could try that. At, well, I'm not sure that I'd do both at once. I mean, that might be pushing no, things I a could, bit. I could try that now, couldn't I? And then if it, if it doesn't look happier, uh, then um, in winter I could. Yeah, well, you could try. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you're not going to do a lot of harm as long as you just go through the bark and you do it yeah. in as straight a line as you can and try not to damage the, the actual tip. Yes, yes, it's, and, and also it does sound a little easier than lifting it out of the well, ground. Well, it, it is, <laughs> uh, but you do have to have a fairly steady hand. Yes, okay, fair enough. Yeah, too, and yes. it is best if you start from the bottom and work up than trying to start from the top and work down. Work I don't down. quite know why, but it seems to be easier to do from working from the bottom. And yes. I've done it a couple of times on people's ginkgos, and in both cases that I did it, it seemed to work. Mm. Okay, so Yeah, okay. so bark-bound ginkgos apparently is a thing. So, oh, gosh, who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yes, it's definitely worth looking at um, uh, because obviously it should be growing and should be a, a nice big tree. Sometimes ginkgos take a while to resettle when they've been shifted or whatever and, yeah. and hit their straps again. But I would have thought three years was more than long enough. Yeah, me too, me too, yes. Yeah. Oh, look, thank you very much for, for that. Oh, yeah, that's great because, as I said, a dear friend gave it to me and... Um, you know, it was a very generous gift. It was a, you know, quite an advanced tree when yeah. she did. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've got so I... four ginkgos in Jill, and they are all so spectacularly slow. Mm. Yeah, and yet they but shouldn't they, be that but, slow. I mean, they do use no. them as a street tree in parts of Europe and uh, and North America. Um, Just near my place in London, they planted a whole street full of female ginkgos. Oh, females! That's a good idea. Oh, it's. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, um, um, there's a street here in Melbourne where they've planted ginkgos just near the Botanic Gardens. Um, oh, I'm having a mental block. It's the little street that connects Turak Road back to uh, Domain, Domain. Domain Street. Down to Main Street, there is oh, actually ginkgos yeah. planted down there. I'm going to go and have a look next time I'm yeah. in the garden. Yeah, because yeah, that's the way I come in nowadays, because you can't come up past oh, the art centre anymore where nice. they're doing all that roadworks yeah. and turning in well, things into lineal parks. Well, the, yes, look, one of the things that just made me think, yes, it's really unhappy, is, is not only is it growing terribly slowly, but the leaves are half the size they were yeah. when, yeah. when it was the in the The foliage is small, there's definitely an issue. The plant is obviously bonsai in itself. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. Yeah, look, thanks so much for that. It's, it's wonderful. Um, yeah. I bet it's the roots, too. Yeah, I, I, my gut feeling yeah. is the roots, but it well, won't hurt to try releasing yeah. the bark. I was careful to, you know, tease it all out when it was planted. Mm. And you'd think sandy soil would, you know, in a sense, be much easier for it to, to get its roots yeah, out. Yeah, but it's probably it. going, um, you know, uh, it's probably yes. happier in the potting mix that was growing. Yeah, in, yeah so. nice rich potting mix. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> okay. Good luck. <laughs> thanks very much indeed. Yeah. Okay. okay. Bye. All the best. Bye. Bye. Okay, next up we have uh, Paul in Seaford. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning, panel. How are you today? Everyone's fitting well. I, I hope so. Now, I, I have a, a very technical question here. How is your knowledge regarding rhubarb? 
<laughs> well, I grow rhubarb, oh. and so does Virginia grow and rhubarb, so do I. And, and Pam grows rhubarb, so you've got three <laughs> rhubarb growers on the panel at least. I'm not sure about Graham, do you? Uh, m- mine got garroted about six weeks ago. Oh, oh did it? Yes, yeah, Dinah did the garrot job. It was getting out of hand. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake, make some more pies. Um, all right, so you've got a bit of expertise here, so how can we help? Oh, fantastic. Look, my daughter moved into a, uh, a, a new place oh, 12 months ago, and... Uh, Oh, the people before must have been very keen gardeners. They mm. had a lot of stuff growing. Oh, but what I struck me straight, well, I had eyes on it, was a big healthy plant of root, because I love rhubarb, mm. and it's a beauty. Mm. Now, the daughter wants, uh, in time, she wants to pave that area. Mm. I said, do not touch that rhubarb. Yeah. Well, you've got a disinheritor if she does. Oh, yes, <laughs> I said, otherwise, if you do, you'll be struck off. Yes, and well, good, yep. Right? And um, let me ring up and find out. I know there's experts for ECR. And uh, now, can it be moved? Yes. And can it be put into another more into another part of the garden, which I don't know where to put it anyway, because this is beautiful soil. Yeah. And um, can it be put in a big pot? Rhubarb's better in the ground, I reckon. Oh, yeah. all right. So, so, it's far be better, that, so that's that's the first thing. I, I I mean, I've seen lots of people grow rhubarb in pots, but it's never quite as good no. in a pot as what it can be in the open ground. So yeah. I definitely put it in the ground. And it likes a spot where it gets plenty of light, uh, yep. And it likes a well-drained soil, and it likes oodles of manure. Lots um, of oh, food. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they do. They do look after it. They, yeah. They so I would water and manure. Yeah. Yep. yep. And I would lift it in the winter. Yeah. Um, and if it's a big clump, I'd probably divide it up. So you can have some, she can have some, everybody can have some. Uh, so you can divide it down to almost basically individual crowns um, and put it in some well-prepared soil, water it in well with some seaweed, and hopefully Bob's your uncle. Oh, I it's hope Bob is my uncle. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so it's not that hard to, to grow. Rhubarb is actually one of those crops that's comparatively easy, but it will perform really well if it's fed and watered well. Um, and you know something I like doing with rhubarb? When I cook it, I really like to cook it in orange juice. I think mm. that really gives it a, just oh. an extra bit. Orange juice? Orange juice. Mm. Instead of using any water or just a l- orange juice and you need less sugar then, of course, mm. as well. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, that's very handy to know. Yeah, so there you go. So you shouldn't have any problems with this, but if you're going to do anything in the way of disturbing it, do it in the winter when the plant's winter. In most dormant. All right, I've got those important points. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, got some, I've got some armoury with me now. Yeah. Yes. Gardening, yes, it, it gardening and cooking. <laughs> gardening <laughs> and cooking tips now. And you should even score a plant for yourself. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah. I, I will. I'll be right on to this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, look, thank you. You're about to go. Look, thank you very much. Okay, Bye. good on you, Paul. You're Bye. both a good show. Thank, thank you, you very much. Bye. 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 Speaking of lovely fruit plants. All right. My pseudocydonia, my Chinese quince. Oh, I don't like to tell you it's been name changed again. Oh, no. Yes, yes. The Chinese quince is a beautiful little tree. It's got great flowers, great foliage, great bark when it gets going, uh, and beautiful fruit. So it's well well worth growing. fruited. I've got about... Oh, well, know. you've got a branch there that looks like it's got about 15 fruit just on the one, one branch. branch. And I've got... I, I took a fruit... Mm many years ago and put it on top of a pot and ended up with 20 trees. Yeah. 
Yeah, yes, it's so easy to raise from seed. And I've uh, got a whole lot of them in the garden. Tw- 20 trees? Yep, I gave most Now, Virginia, you're not spinning us a yarn there, eh? 20. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Huge number of trees. Really? And I've got five there, four there, one. I've got about 10 in the garden. She's oh. got copses. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've got a copse. Now, I have to tell you, when it first came into the marketplace here, it came in as pseudocydonia, which is mock quince, basically, yep. or false quince, uh, from China hence chinensis. More recently, the Chinese botanists decided that there wasn't enough difference between it and the true quinces, so they actually took the pseudo off, and then it became Cydonia sinensis. Right. Now, I don't know whether anybody has been using Plants of the World Online site, which is a Q site where they put all of the current names of plants up. I go in and check nearly every time I write a label now to see what Q's saying about the name of any given plant. It would seem that at least with Q, they've decided it's a canomalies. Ah, yes, because ah. it is very yeah. similar yeah. to a canomalies. Yeah, so it, it? it's, it's possibly canomalies chinensis now. So it's canomalies, for those people who don't know, is the japonica. Yeah, the, yes, the flowering it, quinces, yes, as yeah, we call them. Quince, yeah. yeah, so it rankles me a bit because I think Cydonia sit, sits well with the tree as far as the name is concerned. So I was quite happy when they <laughs> changed it from pseudocydonia to Cydonia. Uh, but I'm. It, doesn't sit quite as neatly with me that if they put it in with canomalies. But anyhow, that apparently is where it is at the moment as far as plants of the world well, that, online. That fruit does look much more like a cydonia yeah. than a canomalies. Yeah. So yeah. You, you can remember that name, just think of anomalies. Yeah. And you call it what, Stephen? Cut you grow this, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I stock it all the time. I think it's a great little tree. And what colour are the flowers for you? For me, they'd be a mid rose pink. Yes, because mine's really, really strong, bright yeah. pink. Yeah, they're, and they're it's quite, quite a big, small. Yeah, they're not a big flower, and they don't flower before the leaves like a lot of blossom trees do. So you've got the foliage, which is bright green in the spring, and it's just dotted with pink flowers. So mm. it doesn't do the Barbara Cartland having a, an affair with a whirling dervish like a lot of your spring blossom things do. Uh, and there's a, an image for people. Oh, whirling dervish. <laughs> 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 um, but it, it just has this spotting of pink flowers all over it, which is very pretty. And the autumn colour on the tree is stunning. Mm. So it does everything. You have spring blossom, attractive fruit, uh, autumn foliage and really good bark and of course if we live long enough for the trees to be oldish they also grow into this lovely gnarled old age you know like an old unpruned apple tree or something you know mm. they, so they have that that unlike us uh, they grow into beauty with age <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just think the the whatever you're going to call it I guess Chinese quince is good as a common name at least yes uh, if you're going to grow them they are one if I had a small garden in suburbia and I only had space for one small tree that one would be in my top 10 choices mm. because it pays its way it does things all year round and the fruit is big isn't it it's oh, yeah. not it's not as big as a quince and it and these fruits are longer as yeah, you they're can see. Yeah, they're more elongated. Yes. They're and more egg shaped. And they're obviously edible. Yeah, you can you can cook them. I made pickle quinces with them one year and it goes fantastically with pork. Not like normal quinces where you like you're eating no, sa- eating sandpaper. No, 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 it's the same. You've got to cook them. Yeah. yeah. But you've got to cook them for quite a while. But the advantage of them over the ordinary quinces is they don't get that fur on them. 
So you ah. don't have to scrub them to get the fur off the skin. Right. Mm. Uh, so you just slice them and cook them. Uh, and you do have to cook them a little longer because they're as hard as a rock. Um, but they, they cook up quite well as a, as a, as a, as a quince. Uh, so you can, they're not only a beautiful small tree, but they're productive. Mm. Um, although I have to say they look so good on the tree that I hesitate to pick them. Yes, well, <laughs> because they look fantastic sitting all over the tree. There. So can you, you you make up quince jelly jam? Oh yeah, you could do any of those things with mm-hmm. it. It's just because the fruit is so much harder than a mm. classical quince, it just takes longer. That's all. My so. mum was a legend at making quince jelly jam yeah, yeah. over the copper. Yeah, mm. hey, yeah. in in a in a bag in a muslin bag, mate. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely My sister-in-law makes wonderful quince paste, and yeah. I thought I'd give her some of these to make quince paste. Yeah, well, and she will find that. It has its own slightly distinct flavour. It's not. It won't cook up exactly the same taste as a, as the normal commercial quince. It has just a slight variance in flavour, which I find quite nice. I don't have a problem with it, but it's not quite the same. Well, I grew that because you named it in one, your first book. Yeah. And that was before I knew you. And I thought when I saw this, I thought, oh, that's a nice piece of fruit. I'll try growing it from seed. Yeah. And was unbelievably successful, which I'm not normally. <laughs> well, there you go. See, see it's one of those plants you've become bonded to because of your huge success. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> well, you, you see, Stephen was a legend way back then. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. right, exactly. Yes, and, and I remember seeing my first one of those. It was growing in the garden, in the display garden at the old Como Nurseries up at the ah, Dandenongs yes, yes, in the yes. basin. And that was when um, uh, the... Uh, oh, what was the name of the family that had that nursery? Oh. Oh, isn't that awful? Mm-hmm. I've got this complete mental block suddenly. And there were three or four generations of nurserymen that yes. ran... And they've got a little, a little um, train. train yeah. that goes around it. Yeah. Como then, Gardens. Mm. Yeah, the Como yeah. Gardens. But there was one in there, and I used to go to the wholesale part of the nursery most of the time, which was up and around the corner, uh, to buy things. But occasionally I'd go down to the display garden and have a walk around. And I don't know how many times I saw that damn quince in flower and then would say to them... Why aren't you growing some so that I could buy them? Oh, yes, we should get round to that one day, they kept saying. (laughs) They never ever did. They never ever propagated it. And so it was years later I got it from some other source. Right. Um, But, yeah, I used to go up there uh, all the time. Chandlers. It suddenly hit me. Chandlers. Chandlers. Yeah, they're Uh, well done. Oh, I'm getting old. It's dreadful if I forget a name like that, for goodness sake. Just to remember the Chandler Highway. Yes, well, exactly. So it was named after them, probably. Uh, So, yeah, so I saw it in the display garden up there. I don't. There's no reason why it's probably not still up there. Probably is. Sure yeah, and it was the very first plant of it I saw. Trees up yeah. there. Oh. wonderful plant. And is it grown there? on a rootstock, Stephen? Uh, it depends on where you source it from. Some people do graft it. I've had it grafted onto quince understocks, which I'm mm. not overly impressed by. Mm. In fact, I do tend to ask now before I order it uh, from any of the suppliers, because some raise it from seed, some, some bud or graft it. And because it's in the sort of quince family, you can never be sure what it might be grafted onto. Because uh, I've got a medlar tree that's turned out to be, have been grafted onto hawthorn. Uh, and so it sh- shoots up the odd piece off the root system. Oh, which is I'm having trouble with my medlar for the same reason. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's, it's going crazy, suckering. Yeah, and it like just that. drives That's me nuts. Bottom, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, some of the wholesale fruit tree growers and ornamental bare-rooted tree growers do use some slightly bizarre understocks just because they can and they probably had it there. Yeah, and well, I, see, I'm, I'm in mine, which I, I grew them from seed, so clearly, yeah. and they don't appear to in any way need to be grafted. No, no, I don't think they do need to be grafted. And no. if they don't need to be grafted, I mean, I never would buy a grafted passion fruit. No. I think that's the maddest thing on earth. Yeah, because they always suck it from They always, always suck yes. yeah. So 20, 25 years later. 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, still coming up. So We've still got them coming up. Yes, things can be grown on their own roots for whatever, re, uh, you know, uh, as cuttings or whatever, then it's yeah. generally better. But, of course, there is the example of things like growing um, peaches on plum understocks so that they can grow in wetter soils mm. and, you know, all yeah, those sorts of things. Right. There is advantages to grafting with certain groups of plants. But certainly the, the, the Chinese quince is quite happy on its own roots. Mm. It doesn't need to be grafted. Mm. Sounds good. Okay, we're going to go to uh, Sharon, who's oh, out in uh, Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, sounds good. Sharon, Hello, Sharon, Sharon. you've got, got the radio on and we're on delay. Well, if... Sharon? You need... I know you've got... <laughs> I Hello, I Sharon? I think you should come back to Sharon when she's heard us say, turn off the radio. Yeah. I don't even know if she's heard us, but uh, we'll put Sharon on hold for the moment. And Sharon, please, if you can hear us, uh, please turn off your radio in the background. It's going to totally confuse you and us, um, and uh, then we'll get back to you. Yeah. Okay. Send, uh, out, send out a search party. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another unusual one here, which is a Labernocystis adamii. It is yes. a graft chimera. 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 <laughs> we don't quite know. I don't know how to pronounce that word. No. Uh, and I've heard it pronounced in about five different ways. <laughs> and if anybody says it with conviction, it sounds right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a, a graft chimera. Yes. And it, which means that it's two different plants that have melded together um, vegetatively. It's not a hybrid yes. as such. Yes, yes. So it's two plants that have gr- uh, grown together. And, and this particular plant that um, uh, Virginia is talking about was apparently the first known example of this sort well, of there, thing. There is only two, isn't there? There's this, well, and there's also one, a medlar and a hawthorn. Yeah. Has no, there's not. Chimera. There's a canner. Oh, there's a Yeah, a, a burgundy-leafed one and a green-leafed one that grew, grew together, together, and it's called Cleopatra, and it gets big green leaves with brown stripes through it, and the flowers can be... The green form of it has flowers that are yellow with red spots and the burgundy leaf form has red flowers and you can actually have flowers half and half. Well, this has flowers of both. Yes, it, it does. It has flowers of the cistus, so it has the broom. Yep. And it has the laburnum. The cistus is pink. The laburnum is ye- yellow, yellow and they're on the same plant. Right. And I, because It's bizarre. It, because <laughs> Very it's bizarre. so bizarre, I bought it as soon as I saw it. Yeah. Um, and I just I planted it. It came into leaf. Mid-February. I've been absolutely certain it was dead. Goodness me. Was it bare-rooted when you got it? Was it was bare-rooted, yeah. and I hate buying bare-rooted. Yeah, because bare-rooted things often get a bit dry before yeah, you get them, right. and, you ne- and you can't tell that yes. until you plant yes. them. Uh, it probably had that issue. It was probably a bit too dry at yeah. some point. I bought it from Garden Express, mm. uh, which is in Mombolk, oh, just yeah. near me. And, and I've just been nurturing it. As you can see, I've put wire around it because of the rabbit. Oh, yeah, they will eat it. Yeah. Actually, keep an eye out. I, I don't know whether you have any snail problems in your garden. I do. Well, snails will crawl right up the stem to eat all of the leaves off them in a oh, damp season. Yeah. Right. Well, any of the laburnum-y type plants, mm. the snails love them. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I'll see, oh, the leaves are disappearing. And you'll look up and here's a whacking great snail five feet off the ground. Well, I get those little snails that are to do with, Grapes—they're yeah. really small and they're 
they're bloody vicious. Yeah. A snail can be vicious. <laughs> In a slow sort of <laughs> restrained yes. way, they're vicious, yes. <laughs> it's, it's not a word I would have used to describe a snail. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, the mind boggles at you. I've got this vision of these big teeth snails <laughs> coming at you, yes. Oh dear. oh, dear. Let's see if we've got uh, Sharon back. Are you there, Sharon? Nope, she's gone. No, I think we've lost Sharon. Okay, we'll try... Um, whoops. Uh, we'll try Vic in uh, Maribyrnong. You there, Vic? No, no, no. Something's going wrong here. What's going on? Oops. One more to uh, go. Vic. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, good, we've got you. We've got you. Okay. You can, you can hear me, can you? Oh, yes, yeah. we can. Only oh, just. Only just. What do you mean, just? <laughs> You need to talk into your phone a bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about that? Okay, that's fine. Okay. Uh, what am I want to know, first one is, what What do they mean by, what do you mean by when you say a female plant or a female tree? Well, some plants have both female and male forms of the same plant. So you, the male form then has to cross-pollinate with the female form, and that is one of the biological imperatives for some plants because it ensures outward pollinating. If a plant can keep pollinating itself, then its progeny are very similar. But it's only a certain group of plants where there are male and female forms. Um, and um, So, for instance, a, a classic example of male and female are the kiwi fruit. Uh, you have to have a boy kiwi fruit that will produce pollen and you have a female kiwi fruit, which I much must say I would prefer to call Chinese gooseberries because they don't come from New Zealand. But anyhow, that's another story. You need to need, have a female one and a male one to get the pollen from the male one to pollinate the female flowers so that you can end up with kiwi fruit. So, um, so, but it is only certain groups of plants. Many other plants don't have differentiated male and female varieties and so therefore they're self-pollinating or potentially self-pollinating. Sometimes they have other ways of stopping themselves from self-pollinating. But you can get male and female plants, but it's only certain groups. Yeah, but the question was, how do you tell the difference? You, well, well the, I have got either a female or a male kiwi fruit, and I have no idea which one. Yeah. I lost the label. Well, I planted both. That's one died, and I have no idea which one it is. Yeah. Well, uh, in general, and this is also another uh, just general statement, normally the male flowers, and they've got to be in flower. You can't tell the difference between a male and a female plant unless they're in bloom. So when they're in flower, the male plant will have stamens that are active stamens. Stamen? That's where stamen? the pollen comes from. Oh. In the centre of the flower. In the centre of the flower, there'll be yellow pollen, generally. It's nearly always yellow. Um, and the female flower will just have a single stigma, which is the female receptive bit that will turn into fruit. Uh, and it won't have pollen. Uh -huh. So, But that's not always the case either, because some plants have... Both parts in the flower, but the, the male part or the female part is in fact non-functioning. Uh, so it could seem like they've got both bits, uh, but in fact they don't always work. But generally speaking, a male flower will have pollen-bearing stamens and normally clusters of them. The female flower will have a single stigma in the middle of it, which will be receptive to the pollen, which will produce the fruit. So, in other words, when you look for a particular plant, you've got to know when it flowers, so that's when you go shopping. Yes. 
The issue is in a lot of cases, though, they won't be in flower. So going back to my kiwi fruit example, the best way to tell the difference between those in a nursery is that the boys come in blue pots and the girls come in pink ones. Oh, really? Yeah, because they won't be in flower at the time you buy them because they're not old enough. Um, So you've got to rely on the grower having kept good records to know which plants he propagated And also, Vic, you do have to have both. And you've got to have both. You can't just have one. I understand that. But that was my question because you'd go there and you might buy something. Someone's going to say, that's it. And, and you come home and it's not easy. Well, it should be it. I mean, if they're yeah. selling known male and female varieties of something, then they should be carefully uh, recorded so that they know what they're selling and they should be labelled as such, so they should have... You and know, you need to be more careful than I am and make sure that you... Because with what happened with me, of course, was that I left the labels on the plants so I'd know which is which, but over the years they... Disappear. They weather. They weather and they the go. The label fairies take yeah. them. Yeah. The label fairies oh, take them exactly. And one of them died, and I've no idea which one I've got. Yeah. Well, we may have to look at the flowers when it comes out to flower next year and see if we can work out whether you've got a male or a female plant. Yes, I think that. I would bet on it being a male, because the male ones tend to be more vigorous than they the female ones in, in the kiwi fruit. Yes. And nearly always, if somebody loses one, it tends to be the female when they lose one as a young plant. Uh, so I would almost lay money on your plant being male, but I can't absolutely guarantee it. Well, on the strength of that, I might go and buy a female. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just see what happens, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, so I hope that helps. Oh, fantastic. Now, the second question is, that theme song that you're using for your program, mm. yes. I'd like to know. I'd like to know what the name of the previous one is, and if you had a previous one before even that. No, we've had this theme yeah. for. No, no, this one you've had for just a few years. You no, 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 it's the same one. It's the same one. We've had it for donkey's years. We did have one compare in the program many, many years ago, and I've been doing it for nearly 30 years, I think, or maybe more, uh, who liked to play with things, and she popped up a few odd different things occasionally just to sort of confuse people. But as far as I know, this particular piece of music is what we've been using in general for, for a long, long time. It may even date right back to the beginning of the program. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been here right from the start, but I certainly was on the well, air I with... Did hear, I did hear one used that I want to know ever since I was a little kid mm. and and uh, I've, I, I used to listen and they used to play it quite regularly but I never ever knew who it was by or what its name yeah. well certainly the piece we're using now is, is the normal one that we've used for years So yeah, I've been here over 10 years and it's been the same mm. the whole mm. way through yeah, but it's not the one you're using now. No, well, we don't know then. Yeah, no, sorry, we can't help you with that one. I mean, uh, it's it's always been the theme song ever since I've been involved with the with the program, and that's going back a long time. No, the one had had a whistle in it. It was just somebody whistling. No. And um, too hard, Vic. Yep, sorry, um, our, our short-term memory's bugging. Maybe there's a female and a male in here as well. Yeah, well, it's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and can I throw in a third one? Yes, if you're quick. Um, I came across a thing on my computer, how to grow avocados. Mm-hmm. You, when, you eat the, when, you, when you cut the avocado, you're very careful not to cut into the seed. And then when you get the seed out, then you very carefully wash all the flesh off it. Then you get four good, strong toothpicks and you poke four of them into it from the side. And then you make sure the bottom... Uh, is hanging down 
you suspend it over over water and not in water. Yep, like you would a bulb. Mm. Yeah, and then it propagates roots yep. and it also starts to grow from the top. Yep. After a certain... I, mean, I got the info on my computer. I don't know whether it's true or not. That's it is. for the question. And then, you, when, then it, when, when, it, when it grows to stem, that's when you put it into uh, some kind of a potting mix. I don't know what. Mm. Just and a general potting mix. That works, Vic. But the thing about growing avocado from your own seed is you really don't know what you're going to get. Some of them mightn't even fruit at all. And if they do fruit, they won't fruit for a long time. So if you're really keen on having an avocado tree with avocados on it... You Buy need a to... br- good grafted name variety plant. Yeah. Grafted to what? Seedling what avocados. Just buy well, an I, avocado I, from I a nursery. I avocado plant, so start me off from there. Yeah, but if you grow it from seed, then you'd need to go out. Uh, if you're going to grow your own, you grow the seedling and then you get some grafting wood from somebody who's got a named variety avocado and you graft it onto your seedling. Oh, that's the secret. So it's not going to grow in a pot anymore. It will grow. It'll grow, It'll grow but you, you may not get any fruit. Yeah, yeah, you can't rely on a seedling avocado to be productive. Well, my friend grew one in the ground. She got a whole tree out of it. Mm. Yep. But I don't know whether ever any fruit... No, that's that's right. That's what happens. What is the point in planting an avocado seed if you don't know whether you're ever going to actually get avocados back from it because all you end up with is a damn big green tree? Mm. What I'm saying is she did that. She grew a tree. Yep. Not really expecting an outcome, Mm. but I'm I'm saying that there's another way of getting this thing going and and they reckon you grow fruit and you can even get it to a size you can eat. You, you can, can, but there's no guarantees. In a, in a, in a pot. Yeah, look, you won't fruit avocados well in a pot. Uh, uh-huh. well, so, well, at least we're getting somewhere now. Yeah. I'm trying to get to the point where I want to try this experiment. Well, yeah. you can try it by all means, and you will, um, after you've raised it in a pot for a while, you can put it into the ground. You will get a great big tree quite successfully, but there's no guarantees about the fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you and could end might- up with a big green tree. And it looks like they want plenty of water too, and it's quite, actually quite a big tree, I might Yes, add. they yeah. can get very big. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic shade tree. Yeah, and the possums love them. Well, that could be why we don't see any other <laughs> 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 yeah. All right, then. Okay, Thank Vic. very, very much for all that. I okay. appreciate it. Okay, right. and happy bye. Happy New Year too. Happy New Year as well. Same to you, Vic. Bye. Bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. And... Uh, I think we have Sharon back. Are you there, Sharon? Oh, good morning, Pam. Sorry about all of that. No, I thought my soundproof door would do the trick, but it didn't. Oh, right. Okay. Um, look, what I wanted to ask, I feel a bit of a twit asking this question. Um, I've grown veggies for years, but I'm having to cut back the size of my garden, which has made me think, and I've never had to think about this before, and that is um, when... Do things. I know my silver beet tends to go to seed in spring. Is that correct? La- very late spring. Yeah. It'll go to se- my my silver beet goes to seed when it feels like it. <laughs> all the time. It doesn't go to seed in winter. But it, mm. for me, it's a weed and it grows underneath the lemon trees. And I keep it in control by actually mowing it down. So it'll seed a lot. I love it, but it does yeah. just seed all the time. Yes. I'm having to cut down the size of my garden. Now, in the past, I didn't worry about when things went to seed because I'd just plant seed, etc. 
said when it was the right time. And if I had it more, I'd just give it away. Yeah. But now I'm just trying to grow um, for the two of us. Um, I've got to be careful not to waste space and energy. Um, so my kale, for instance, um, is there a time when that would go to seed? Would that be spring? I don't think many of these things will, will go to seed in spring. They'll go to seed in, um, in summer. Okay. I mean, they've got to, the, the whole point of them growing is to go to seed, so yeah. that they can make yeah, more. From their point, not ours. Yes. Um, but so they usually come come into leaf in in spring and then go to seed. But the other thing is that if you have very hot weather, a lot of that things will, will go to seed yeah. much sooner. They'll well, go to seed quite quickly. Lettuces yeah. have gone. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yes. That's, that's why you. That's Coriander's why you don't gone. grow coriander. You know, you, that's better to be grown over autumn. Autumn, spring, mm. because Even the heat winter. just sends it straight to seed. Right. So the same with parsley. Oh yes. Be, uh, so that makes it a bit clearer because. But also, Sharon, with the parsley, if I was you, I would let it go to seed and reseed because that's definitely the best way to keep you parsley know what? going. I've always done that. Mm. And. Um, yeah, last year I neglected the garden and Dichondra has taken over. Ah, oh, lucky you. Oh, look, it's, you would have thought that, but it's 90% Dichondra and it's um, actually all my parsley's gone. It's, even, oh. it's smothered it. Yeah, right. Oh, that's irritating. And I've never grown parsley like I've always had so much, but it's just, and it's an absolute swine to get out of the garden. Mm. Well, grow, grow, grow some of your, your things like your parsley in pots. Mm. Well, they do very well in pots. Yes. Look, I've decided to keep with the, um, the ground veggie garden, not pots, because it's easy to get compost in. And I've had to be a bit clever. I've actually positioned one of my compost bins in the vegetable garden. Okay. So that I can uh, tip it over, not have a lot of, you know, you have to get very clever. Yes. And cunning. So that's cleared up the seed business for me because I've got kale now, but I didn't want to plant more seed. Um, I don't think I'll need to. It will probably last now till summer. Yeah, uh, oh. it will. Mm. Excellent. Mm. Look, thanks for that. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. And uh, we actually have Helen Page online. Good morning, Helen. Hi, Helen. Morning, Pam. <laughs> Did you know you didn't reply to my text? That's because her phone's at home. I left my phone at home, which is why I, was I don't have the information. I'm the phone number. So, uh, but um, uh, thanks for mentioning the lecture tomorrow night. But the Garden History Society has set up a terrific program for this year. So, and I'm sorry that Robin Robbins didn't hear you because she's the chair, and I think she's put all the hard work into setting up the program. But it kicks off tomorrow night with Tim Entwistle, um his lecture, Managing Living Collections in a Heritage Landscape in a Climate-Changing World. And uh, I think that sounds like a really interesting talk. Tim's a Tim's terrific called. presenter. Mm. It's a, um, I mean, recently the uh, Botanic Gardens have uh, published a landscape succession strategy. Yeah. And um, so a lot of this will be based on it. And some of you might be aware that um, Tim hosted a, a, a group of um, uh, Botanic Gardens directors towards the end of last year from Botanic Gardens directors from similar climate as uh, Melbourne mm. 
to work on uh, you know, how to handle you know, the, their gardens in climate change and there was a public forum as part of that. So, I mean, Tim's gathering a lot of information, so it'll be a, it'll be a, great, um, a great lecture. It's um, 6 o'clock for refreshments and 6.30 at, um, at the lecture starts. It's at Mueller Hall at the Botanic Gardens. Um, everyone's welcome. Uh, uh, Garden History members, $20, and non-members, 25 and you can pay at the door. Um, so I'll just very quickly say a few of the other things that um, Robin has lined up. Um, with lectures, uh, next month in, uh, on the 28th of March, and there'll be more details coming, Greg Johnson from Canberra, uh, we'll be talking about his uh, his passion is collecting um, Australian garden writing in journals, in books, in uh, newspaper articles. Uh, absolutely fantastic detail. Greg's um, a uh, retired plant pathologist with a passion for gardens and plants. So he'll be talking um, the end of uh, March during the uh, flower show time. So that'll be good. In April, uh, Sue Laird is talking on Japanese gardens. And in May, Alistair Watt, who uh, you might remember a couple of years ago, uh, had his book published on Robert Fortune, the plant collector. Well, now he's got another book out on, uh, on Farrah and Purdom to other plant collectors. Fascinating work and the detailed research he's gone into. So they're the lectures, but on the... 21st of um, February, the, just in the next um, 10 days, uh, there's the first walk and talk for the year, and that will be at Birrarung Ma, starting at 6 o'clock, and uh, being led by Ron Jones, who uh, was one of the um, designers of, the, um, of Birrarung Ma, which has now, I think, been open for 20 years. It was the first park um, for 100 years uh, in uh, in the city of Melbourne. So it's pretty special and That'll be an a opportunity really good walk, to, uh, to hear what the designer, what his concept was, mm. and really hear what's worked and what hasn't, mm. how, the, how it's developed from the original plans. Excellent. But have a look at the website and... Uh, um, the Garden History website, the Victorian branch, and get more details of that. And look forward to seeing lots of you at these activities. Fantastic. Thanks so much for ringing in and telling us. Okay, good. Okay, bye. Thanks, bye. And uh, next up we have Bronwyn out in Windsor. Good morning, Bronwyn. Good morning, everyone. I'm just ringing to see whether you can give me some information about Currajongs. We've got um, up at Red Bank a few trees and the other day after the big storm um, on Thursday morning, it was just dripping masses of, like, squished-up jellyfish. Mm. And I was just wondering if you guys would know anything about that. Well, it's obviously leaking resin from the trunk, is what I would suggest it is. Yes. Um, and um, lots of trees do that after major sort of uh, climatic events, um, particularly if there's heavy rain, it will often set trees to doing that. It has no long-term impact on the trees. It's fine. Mm. So it's not something to worry about. Um, 
And it's just to do with the tension in the trunk. It suddenly fills up with water. Uh, bark doesn't control it very well. And then you just get all this sort of leaky, oozy stuff comes out. Ah. So I wouldn't be particularly perturbed about it. It will disappear in due course. Um, and Currajongs are a remarkably tough tree. So um, they can cope with nearly anything. Yeah, it was just amazing because it, we've had such hot days up there. Mm. And then we had the... 21 mils of rain in yeah. that period and then the next day I went out there it was like frogs eggs and jellyfish everywhere and yeah. dripping <laughs> off the trees yeah. Yeah. I took heaps of photos and tried to sort of go online and find out about it but I couldn't find anything online. Yeah, it's just it's 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 quite a natural occurrence with many trees, and uh, I hadn't heard of it with Currajongs, but it doesn't surprise me at all because they are trees that uh, take advantage of things when it happens. So uh, get rain, and they'll suck it up like mad so that they can go through the next dry spell, uh, and they may well have overfed themselves with water. Yeah, and <laughs> by the end of that day, all that stuff had gone almost rock hard. Yeah, like yeah, said. yeah. yeah. Well, it'll sort of set. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so I did read about how um, Indigenous people used to use the roots and get water out of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they they were a tree of uh, of great importance at one stage, and I yeah. I like Currajongs. I think they're a nice tree. I like we them too. I think them. they're great. Yeah. You know that sort of solid trunk they get under them, and you know nice leafy canopy. I think yeah. they're a lovely tree. Yeah. And we they're beautiful love in flower. Them too. Mm. Beautiful flowering trees. Yeah. yeah, well worth planting, I think. More people should be putting in things like Currajongs. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to have a go at collecting the seed. And There's some it. very beautiful ones at Burnley, mm. in the garden at Burnley. Yeah. Mm. People forget that Burnley is a public garden and it's a very, very old garden. It's a beautiful place to visit and it's right there in Richmond. You yeah, know, exactly. Nice and close. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well worth it. What, oh. do you, what do you mean by a public garden? You can go it's there anytime. It's public. Yeah. You can walk okay. in any time you like. Okay. Yeah, See, there you go. You didn't know either. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, Bronwyn? Yes, thank you very much. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. And uh, next up we have Anne in Preston. You there, Anne? Yes, I am. Good, Hello, go ahead. Anna. I've been trying to grow okra, and I've got the plants. They're about, well, they're over a foot tall. They've got leaves and everything on them. They did have pods on them, but they've been falling off. And I've got some more pods coming up now, but they never get to the flower stage. They just seem to fall off. And I'm wondering if I'm doing something wrong or if it's just the variability that we've had in the weather. Mm. Well, it is a tropical plant. Yes. Um, and... Uh, my gut feeling is you're right. I think it's it's um, the variability of the, the season we've had this year. I mean, we started off with a really cool, cool season right up till Christmas, basically, mm. and, and then it went from that to the opposite extreme. Mm. Um, and I just don't think the plants have settled in. Having said all of that, though, I've never grown it myself because I've never thought about it as being a, a worthy crop to have a crack at at Macedon. So uh, I've never grown it. Mm. Well, I mean, it used to be very, very hard to get any any pods in mm. Melbourne, but they've brought out other um, varieties now so that you can get them um, fruiting quite well in Melbourne. Right. So I don't know um, what variety yours is. It's a, it's a red variety, so maybe that's what it is. I would but have thought, though, that 
one of the things about a Melbourne summer is it t- does tend to be very, very dry, and when it gets very hot, it's very dry. And I, mm. sus- I don't know, but I suspect that an okra is looking for some humidity. Yeah, yes, some yes. damp warmth. Yes. Mm. I had okra <laughs> curry last night for dinner. It was delicious. <laughs> well, I love it. <laughs> so that's why I'm trying to grow it myself. I understand that. Is, mm. is there a... What is the variety, do you know, that you can grow here? Uh, look, I don't know off the top of my head, mm. but I know I know diggers sell it, so if you like to give them a call... Give them a ring and ...down at them. Heronswood, mm. um, they could uh, probably tell you. Okay. Uh, All right, well, I'll try that. I've taken it inside because I've got it in a polystyrene container. I've got a phone number for diggers, if you wish. Yes, that would be great. Thank you. 5987... One eight double seven. That's five nine eight seven one eight double seven. Okay. And that's diggers at Heron's Wood. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Now I do have a query that's come in from the outside line. It's taken us a little while to get to this, but um, Jenny uh, out in Parkdale has a problem with the water in her large tank. It has a slight tinge to the colour and a smell. It's under a gum tree. Should the tank be cleaned, and how do you clean the tank? No. <laughs> no, I, 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 if you're using it on the garden, there's, there's no reason why you can't just keep using the water. Mm. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be making a billy tea with it because it'll probably taste a bit off, and it's the no, gum tree that's done. It. It's the gum tree. Because yeah. my water is always a bit brown because yep. I've got 150-year-old... Um, Pine trees, Pinus radiata, all around mm. the property. Well, it's getting tannin from the gum leaves, mm. basically, mm. Yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's not poisonous. No. No. It just may not taste all that good. But it's not going to do her any harm, and certainly on the garden it's not going to do any issues. And as far as cleaning a tank out is concerned, I think that's a professional job. Oh, yes. Yeah. But yeah. also you have to empty it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I my, my theory with cleaning my tanks is I will only do it on those really bad years when I'm nearly empty. Yep, mm. and then I'll have a go occasionally at cleaning them, but I just don't bother. I, I mean, leaves I don't think are a problem. If I've got a dead possum in the tank, I worry. That's mm. a different matter. <laughs> yes, it is rather. Yes, <laughs> this possum soup is disgusting. Poor, <laughs> poor possum. Because <laughs> I only have tanks. Yes, That's, I've, and I've got what, five of them. Right. Um, and I, and my garden tank is always polluted, mm. and. At the moment is empty. I'm using I'm using the house tank to water the garden, but I just don't think it matters. Yep. And if the smell becomes really bad, my big problem with my tanks is I get mosquitoes in them. Mm. That is a problem. There yes. has been some treatment um, um, products available through Mitre Ten for tank water, and um, but I drink my tank water. Yes, I think. There's been some later information found out about tank water and the fact that it contaminate. And uh, I had neighbours who went to the doctor and said, oh, you know, we're sort of having some hassles. And the doctor said, Let, let's test your tank water. And the doctor said, mm-mm, fellas, you've got to clean your own act up and clean your tanks up. Well, I put mine through two filters. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, well. I have a filter coming out of the tank and I have a filter coming out of the kitchen tap. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I do make an attempt to keep, and I've changed those filters. One, I changed six monthly, the other I changed three monthly. Mm. I remember as a child, you just kept your teeth clenched when it came to mosquitoes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Inbuilt strain. Oh, yeah, that's yes, yes. Very good, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's it's amazing anybody survived the sort of... um, uh, earlier part of the last century when you think about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until uh, 9.15, so uh, we do have a couple of lines free if you'd like to phone in and ask a question this morning. That number to speak to the team on air is 94190155, or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. I went to the most fascinating nursery uh, yesterday. Right. I, I've been there before. It's, d- in, it's in East Warburton, which I have to say is out of the way mm. by any standards. And it's down an obscure dead-end road. Right. So it's not an easy nursery to find. And it's run by a man called Wolfgang and his wife, Jenny. And he is just the most extraordinary grower. He has got the most beautiful camellias and rhododendrons. He's mm. a member of both societies. He's an extraordinary grower. And he's got these blueberry trees that would be 10 foot tall. Yeah. They're, Goodness. They're huge. Right. And, and at the moment, it's pick your own, which is um, one of the reasons. If they're ten feet tall, that's a bit hard. Well, you bring your tall friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> they're absolutely. There's lots of you can get to all of the blueberries, and he also has the most wonderful chestnut collection. Right. He's got beautiful trees. He yeah. has problems with deer. He's got three different sorts of deer and wallaby. He's actually on the Yarra River. Okay. Uh, right up there, and I I put um I put it on our Facebook page. It's called Habitat Nursery, and it's. What's the address? It's in Hazelwood Road in East Warburton, and so and he, it's worth going there. He he has just the most beautiful things, and he also has a very good nursery. And I I've got some boys near me who want to start a blueberry nursery, and I I went up to ask him if he would talk to them because, you know, if they're going to start, they need to actually start properly. And and he said yes yes bring them up. I'll I'll talk to them because his blueberries are so amazing. I mean, right. trees. And he says you just don't touch them once you put them in. Their roots are very... Uh, you don't, you don't, don't grow disturb anything. You don't disturb them. You don't grow anything around them. Yep. Mm. Well, mm. blueberries, of course, are in the Ericaceae family, yes. so they're in the same group as rhododendrons, and they have that fibrous surface root system, so you yep. don't want to tamper with the roots. Mm. Yep. Mm. So what are his hours? Is he open most days? Yes, he's, at this time of year he's open. December to March he's open seven days, ten till five. Okay. And, I mean, he's not... People don't find him yet. I don't think he's overrun. (laughs) But if you want... He's got lovely plants. He's got beautiful plants. And and it's a very interesting place. It's just near the Redwood Forest in um, East Warburton. Okay. Which is also absolutely beautiful, although it's so busy, it's unbearable going there now. Mm. Mm. Sadly. Mm. Okay. Well, we've got a couple more callers to get through. First up, we've got David in Cheltenham. Good morning, David. Hi. Good morning, panel. Uh, I've got a quick question about tree roots. Uh, we've got quite a little um, urban forest here in Cheltenham and, and fruit trees and natives. And my question is the root system for for trees. Um, if you're only watering, say, one half of the, the size of the tree, does that feed the whole tree or do the roots 
only feed the side of the tree that they're emanating from. Are you talking about the water or are you talking about fertilising? Ah, uh, no, sorry, I was talking about water. Oh, watering, yeah, well, watering. that's not feeding exactly, but yes, uh, I thought I'd better clarify that. Isn't, isn't no, it, the, the water is only same. going to be taken up by the roots it comes in contact with. Yes, I understand that. What I'm saying is if you water, for example, um, one half the tree, because that's the side you've got easiest access to, for example, the fence or something, um, is that then going to compromise half the tree because you've only watered the roots on one side? No. No, it won't, it won't compromise the, the tree particularly, but you won't find that the roots on the dry side are going to grow as well as the roots on the other side. No, but no, once no, the no. water gets into the tree, uh, it goes through the whole tree. Does it? That, that was my yes. question. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't go up the, so the watered side of the tree. Right. And it was just, why I was thinking that was that we had a, we lost the wattle, we lost most of it. There's a bit on one side left, and I've cut all the cops bits away. Uh, and I wondered if it was because I tend in the mornings at dawn to water the uh, one side more than the other. No, no the, the wattle was probably just getting old and dying. Mm. Wattles <laughs> don't live for a long time. Yeah, so no. it, it, and they do tend to die off in chunks uh, when they go. Uh, so I don't think that's got anything to do with watering, particularly considering most wattles are fairly drought tolerant anyway, mm. and so probably don't need a lot of um, Water. extra watering. Yep. Uh, I just think the tree got too old. Well, one one um, corollary of this is with uh, uh, eucalypts in particular in car parks who have been ash tolerant over mm. uh, virtually 100%. Are those tree roots then drawing hundreds of feet away? from grassy areas, or is it in all the taproots? It, its roots will be getting down into moisture at lower ground levels to a large extent. That's where they'll and be getting been, most of the And water. that's being replenished from the areas a long way away where yeah. the yes, concrete finishes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. right so yeah. that's how they're managing to survive under such... Uh, uncivilised conditions. Uh, trees are remarkably good at finding moisture where they can. All right, thanks a lot. Okay. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, next up we have Wendy in uh, Preston. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Um, good to see that your show's back on air again. I missed you over the break. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, what I'm calling about when you're talking about water tanks, I'm wanting to get one myself and <clears throat> just not sure, uh, like you've got the um, corrugated iron and then you have the plastic ones. Mm-hmm. Um which are, I guess, what are the advantages of one over another, for example? The plastic ones are cheaper, and yes. in, in Preston you're not going to have bushfires. Yes, right. So, yes, so you for don't, me, I would, I've got one tank which is concrete because yeah. that will survive, and my, I've got three plastic ones, and I'm sure they'll all melt if there's mm. a bushfire. Right, okay. But I don't think that should affect you in Preston. Yeah, yeah so economically they're cheaper. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know whether there's any leach down from plastic tanks into the water from the plastic itself. Uh, some people swear black and blue that's the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're, you're using it for your garden, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's it's so not going to make any matter. difference if you're using yeah. it for drinking water. I know I was pressured by somebody who happens to live in the same house as me to put a metal tank in because, you know, the taste of the plastic. Um, and so we did put a metal tank in, which was fine, but we hardly ever used the water to drink anyway, as it's turned out anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, okay. Although the, the tanks look nice. But, <laughs> but Wendy, okay. one of the big problems, I think, with putting a tank in is that 
if you put a small tank in, you'll find you'll use it in one day. Oh, it won't yeah. last you at all. Um, mm. People put small tanks in, and I really question whether it's worth it. Mm. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, my tank, my garden tank has 40,000 litres, which is wow. quite big, and I've emptied it twice this year. Now, wow. admittedly, my garden is big. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, if you've got 10,000 litres, you'll use that in a week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I've got a, uh, my block of land, which I'm wanting to develop now in, with fruits and vegetables and whatever. Yeah. It's uh, 600 square metres, so fairly but, large block of land. Yeah. So you're going to need quite Go a, as large as you can, can yeah, or, or else have several Yeah, tanks. have a series right. of tanks Have a series of them the feeding, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for the advice. Okay. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye. All right, uh, next up we have uh, Bill out in Morris. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Uh, it's to do with sweet corn. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I've got quite a, it looks a healthy crop, but it's, uh, it's developed a lot of side, the main stem has got sort of suckers coming out either side of the... Yeah, the base. Yeah. Base. Mm-hmm. Should I pull them off or what? Well, Tino said you should. Um, uh, I don't think it matters particularly, particularly this late in the season because they'll already be forming their cobs and it's not going to make any difference to the crop. If they're very young ones uh, early in the season, then it probably is a good idea to take them off to direct everything to the main stem. But by this time of year, if you've got cobs already forming, um, it's probably not going to make any difference. Mm. I don't think they are forming just yet. Mm. I put them in late. Yeah. Oh, well, then it might be worth taking yeah. them off. Yeah, if it's a late crop, it may be. But um, uh, at the end of the day, you'll still probably end up with a crop of corn, whether you take them off or not. Yeah. Um, and you do have to be careful that you don't uh, dislodge the whole plant while you're pulling the, the suckers off the bottom. Yes. Because uh, you don't want to disrupt the root system because that will mean you won't get any corn. Right, I'll leave, I'll leave them on then, I think. Yeah, that I won't make so. too much difference, yeah. I don't think. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Stephen, my tomatoes mm. were completely destroyed by the rats. Oh, charming creatures. Oh. They ate the stems. They ate half of the stem. Right. Literally half of the stem. So the stem was mm. a half moon yeah. shape. And, of course, the whole yeah. thing collapsed. Yeah. So I have just had the most massive attack on my vegetable garden. Yeah. I've cleaned out the shed. I found where the rat nest was. We've caught six rats. Oh. Goodness me. They've all been... Dispatched. <laughs> they, they've been sent to a snake. One, <laughs> one of Sylvie's friends keeps snakes, so he's been catching the rats and taking them home to feed his snakes. So that's, oh, that's recycling at another level. It's <laughs> <laughs> re- <laughs> recycling. So I've got rid of the rats, and I've also lined all the bottom of my vegetable garden with tin. Mm. Okay. So nothing can get in. So because they ate all my beetroot. Oh, little buggers. Uh, and the beetroot looked absolutely perfect. From Lovely the top. leaves. Yeah. And you could see the little crown, and then you pulled it out of the ground, and it's just and been, it's all it's all gone. Oh, it was me. just. Tra- I love beetroot. That Did was you tragic. use the leaves? I uh, love beetroot leaves. Yeah, no, I did. Well, I, I had used some of them. Yep. But this, I was, you know, picking the fruit, mm. so they were older leaves yep. by this stage. Yep. No, I was very upset. And yes. it's weird. They don't what they don't touch. They they're not interested in silver beet. Okay. Don't not interested. Yes, in they don't lead a particularly healthy lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. And they didn't touch the basil. Mm. They didn't touch the basil, but they ate all the tomatoes. Yes, I mean, very weird. But I was absolutely heartbroken because they were beautiful. I had the black ones, and they mm. just coming, and they didn't eat the fruit. No. Right? No, they yeah. just killed them. 
Mm. Anyway, so... Vicious, I, nasty rat. So I've, there's, somewhere in Lilydale, there's a couple of very happy snakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, the punishment that. fits the crime. <laughs> yes, <laughs> does rather. And I've got... <coughs> so it's hard rubbish collection in, in my area, and I've, I've got so much hard rubbish out because my shed's huge. Yep. And I've put things out that were there when I moved in. You know. Oh, yep. dear. Oh, well, maybe the rats did something good for you. Did. You at least cleaned out the shed. The shed is yeah. nice. Well, That's a job I've got to tackle. Uh, I really must the, tackle it. One of the challenges is that, quite frankly, you need to keep your place baited all the time. Oh, no. The no. World, World Health Organisation tell us that there's um, the population of rats and mice in the world will never change or never vary. Mm. That's just the way it is. And I did get a remove a brown snake from my uh, fowl pen where I had chickens, and they were attracted by the mice in the pen, mm-hmm. and that's what will will attract the the uh, snake. But I don't bait. I'm not baiting. No, no way. I, I've already Annie, my, the kelpie in my family, has mm-hmm. eaten one baited rat, not from mm-hmm. my place, and had to have her stomach tum- pumped. Oh. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if they're dead. Things that are poison. Mm. I mean, I've got so many hunting birds. Yes. And I don't even it, kill the foxes. B- baiting for uh, vermin can be investigated because you can get baits that are safe with um, um, dogs and, and, and other birds. There are some on the well, market. Well, rat sack certainly isn't. No. Oh, no. 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 Uh, oh, well, there we go. Okay. Let's get to a plant. Oh, yes. We've, I've still got a couple of plants. You They're have. up on the Facebook page and we haven't talked about them I yet. Want some, yes, the, the one that looks like a dope plant. Yes. This <laughs> How do you know what a dope plant looks Back like? Back in the 70s, I saw one. <laughs> oh, did you? Right. Uh, I, I, that's the same thing I say usually. Um, this is actually a maple. This is Asa pentaphyllum. Um, it's rather beautiful. It is a Isn't gorgeous a... tree. It has this, as Virginia quite rightly points out, this foliage that could be sort of vaguely the shape of marijuana. Um, uh, and uh, it's actually called the five-finger maple. It comes from China. It is an incredibly quick-growing, but not particularly big tree. It'll get up to about the five to six metre mark. It casts the most beautiful light shade. Yes, because it's, it's such very a light delicate. Yeah, it's isn't almost it? bamboo-esque. It's yes, got this it is. lovely soft thing about it. There are apparently less than 200 trees of it in the wild oh, in really? China. Uh, so it's one of the world's most endangered maples, um, and yet it is as tough. A friend of mine got a little one like this one I brought along from me a year or two ago and planted it in her garden in Elphinstone. Now, if anybody knows Elphinstone, it's on the way, it's up the freeway, uh, about half the way Ballarat. to Bendigo from our way. No, no, Bendigo. Oh, Bendigo. Uh, and it's sort of yeah. up near Castlemaney sort of yeah, area. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's hot and dry in the summer, cold as charity in the winter, and her tree hasn't blinked. And she's on tank water, uh, so things don't get overly watered. And her little Acer pentaphyllum is doing well. She said it even came through the 45 degrees the other day with almost no burn whatsoever. Mm. Wow. Uh, wow. And the other thing I love about this tree, apart from the fact that it is lovely, it's rare, and it has everything like that going for it, it doesn't come into leaf till well into October, even nearly November. So it comes into leaf really late in the year. So if you're growing... Uh, bulbs or something like that underneath it, it gives the bulbs the time to get all of the nutrients they need from the sun before they die down and the tree comes into leaf when we need it which is when the weather starts to warm up Mm. not in the spring when you don't actually need the shade Uh, Mm. so I think as a tree to plant as a small copse in a garden or as an individual tree uh, for the sunny side of a house um, 
It's a stunner. Uh, I mean, it has little red PDLs, which are the leaf stems, which are, uh, are, are not showy, but it's pretty. Uh, its autumn colour is soft and gentle. It sort of goes apricots and yellows and, and soft sort of shades. Uh, and the fact that it comes into leaf really late, in fact, it looks dead till quite late in the season, and most people think they've lost it every year. Oh. In fact, I've had batches of them, and I keep looking at them thinking, are those things actually alive? Because they don't have any sense of green buds and yes, things on yes. them when they're dormant. So it's really hard to tell, and you don't want to snap one in half to see whether it's still alive or not. That would be self... And uh, does it colour up in the autumn? Soft colours. Yeah, yeah, soft. Soft. Yeah, soft. So pale lemons, pale apricots, soft autumn colours. But it does colour enough to make it worthwhile. Um, And I think Acer Pentaphyllum is just a beautiful tree. And it's easy to grow. I raise it from seed from my own tree at at work, and it's easy to germinate from seed. Um... One has to wonder why it's rare in the wild, because it's quick-growing, hardy and easy, uh, and yet there's so few of them left in the wild. Mm. One assumes that that's due to, I guess, deforestation Mm. or something like that. And it's a maple that's in its own section of the maple family, so it's completely sort of isolated as far as genetics is concerned. And yet we have found occasional hybrids of it with other species. And I've got a young one in the garden or in a pot at the nursery that I am sure is a cross between one of it, it and one of the snake bark maples. Oh, that'd be okay. So it'll be interesting be to see interesting. what that does. Yeah. And I know when Arnold Teese was alive years ago, he had a seedling that came up from this that was a cross between this and an evergreen Asian maple called a blongum. I don't know whatever happened to it and whether it was worth growing. But um, I think Ace of Pentaphyllum is lovely and I, I think more people should consider growing it. I think it's a beautiful little tree. My question. Yes. I find with a lot of maples, they hate the hot north wind. This shouldn't worry it. Wouldn't worry it? No. How tall will that get, please? About five metres. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. So moderate size tree, ideal size for a suburban garden. It's big enough to shade the house Mm. without being big, big. Okay, we've got a couple of queries we must get to from the outside line. Firstly, Suzanne in Paran. She'd like to grow a tree against her back fence to stop neighbours viewing, uh, but she would like um, a thick canopy be green all year, edible and possum-free. <laughs> uh, where did she come from? Paran. Paran. Um, you could look at a backhousier. <coughs> yes. Sorry. And they're sort of edible because you can use the leaves to make teas and things. Um, you could plant an avocado. No, very uh, heavy. Well, she wants a heavy canopy tree. She doesn't says. want the neighbours to see through. So Blueberry ash. Yes, yes. But it's ash. not edible. Uh, did, did she say? Yeah, she wants edible Sorry. if she can. Evergreen, edible, a wide canopy, and possum free. Oh well. Yeah, well, I can't promise with the possum thing because no. God knows what possums will eat in some areas. Mm. Won't. And she doesn't say height, does she? Because a crab apple, some of the crab apples are fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're deciduous. They're deciduous. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's uh, she's asking a lot. It, it, it will be an issue, but I, I would opt for an avocado potentially, although the possums will eat the fruit sometimes and sometimes the leaves. Uh, the Bacchousia citriodora, I mean, you know, moderately edible in a sense. Uh, a bay tree. Yes. I mean, you can yes. use the leaves of a bay tree in cooking and it grows very dense and grows... And a, very big. And very big. And, yep. and, and, and so you'll have to make a lot of chicken cacciatore if you're going to make <laughs> much use of the bay leaves. But nonetheless, that's a possibility. Um, they're the main things I can think of off the top of my head because my, the vast majority of, of cool edible. climate edible trees tend to be deciduous. Mm-hmm. And, of course, exactly. anything that produces an edible fruit is potentially going to attract... Yep, birds possums. and possums. Yep. So you could actually, you know, it's it's almost an oxymoron to suggest that you're going to have something you're going to eat that the possums won't like. Mm. 
Okay, very quickly, a lady from Port Melbourne has a wattle, Acacia cumini. Not familiar with it. I'm not familiar with that one either. Bormani? Bormani. Bormani, she, yeah. she means. That isn't what's written, but Bormani, yeah, of yeah. course. That she would like to give away. What is the best way to dig it out of the ground and will it survive? No. No, exactly. No. Easy, quick, simple answer. Yep. It's very unlikely to survive at all uh, and you're far better to buy a young one. Uh, <laughs> so I wouldn't, in fact, be offering it to anybody because the amount of effort that's going to go into it should be better just to exactly. cut it down and start a, exactly. another plant. You've got one minute to talk about it. All right. Uh, Bupleurum uh, handiensis is an evergreen shrub from the Canary Islands. It has wonderful grey foliage, heads of fennel-like flowers on the top of it. Edible? Uh, uh, no, not as far as I know. Um, and it just makes a lovely sort of shrub to about a metre and a half, quite bushy, and it's completely drought tolerant, completely heat tolerant. Uh, doesn't care about soil types as long as it's not in a swamp. And I think Bupleurums are actually a group of shrubs that people will come round to. They're subtle because they're not showy in lots of ways, but they're texturally really interesting. Spell uh, it so someone can look oh it up. Oh, God, yes. Uh, well, it is on the website, but Bupleurum is B-U-P-L-E-U-R-U-M, Bupleurum, and this one is Handiensis, which is H-A-N-D-I-E-N-S-E. So there you go. Yes, and it's on the website. And it's on the website, and the Bupleurums are lovely shrubs, and we saw a lot of them in the <laughs> south of France when we were there in lots of very smart gardens, and they look fantastic. Graham, very quickly, just remind the listeners about the two roses you were speaking about this morning. Tropical sunset, highly recommended, and also uh, double knockout, highly recommended. Yep. All right. Uh, We have run out of uh, time yet again. It seems to (laughs) go very quickly these days. Um, But, of course, we will be back again next week. Um, A big thank you to Louise and Carol, who've been handling all the calls this morning. Uh, But uh, as I said, tune in 7.30 next Sunday morning and uh, we'll be there bright and bushy-tailed, hopefully. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.